transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0091, titled, Naming the Fart Wizard. Hello, you've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. Remember, this podcast may contain mature language words. We will have some film history, some news, a new cocktail corner, and a double feature in feature presentation. We will be talking about The Conjuring 2 and Swiss Army Man. So last week we did uh, we did no editing, we did no mixing, so Matt came out the loudest. I usually try to keep everyone the same volume afterwards. I try to correct for it. Anyway, I think it had a good sound. That particular um, atmosphere on episode 90, it was pleasant. Anyways, enough of this hooting around. Let's head into the VIP booth at the top of the cantina and get episode 91, Naming the Fart Wizard, started. All right, I'm in the VIP booth at the top of the cantina, and sitting to the left of me with a microphone, his name is Beer Maker Matt. Hello. Sitting <laughs> to the right of me, also with a microphone, her name is Heathen. Hi. I want to remind everyone at home that anytime you hear a sound like this, uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. Yeah, go ahead and drink along with us at home. What is that? Are you is that healthy stuff, Matt, or is that No, this is entirely unhealthy. It's orange soda and energy drink. Hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's similar to what we'll be drinking later, except for it'll include vodka. I just I didn't know if that was some <laughs> mixture of Chinese herbs because it kind of looks like a Chinese herbal drink. Yeah. Because you were not feeling well. Yeah, I'm trying to get myself kick started this morning. Yeah, sometimes those energy drinks help with the with the B vitamins. They can they can do some things. Heathen doesn't agree with, with that, but they do have B vitamins at least. <laughs> it's always a plus. <laughs> All right, um, I already talked about hitting the baby, so let's do. I like having a pedal board down here. <laughs> some film history. And film history. So July 9th, 1956, born in Concord, California, actor of such TV shows as Bosom Buddies and such films as Forrest Gump, it's Tom Hanks' birthday. Nice. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Hanks. He didn't grow up in Concord, though, did he? He grew up in, uh, well, he, he, he lived there for a while. He moved to Roseville. He went to school at Sacramento State. Um, I don't know how long he lived in Concord. I've got a hole in my shirt. 
Yeah, because I know he didn't go to high school in Concord. Yeah, I used to, for a while, would say Concord's my hometown, but I moved when I was three, and I haven't spent a lot of time there in a while. I used to do stuff there. <laughs> I had family there. I used to do stuff there, too. I had a girl wreck my car there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I learned to fight there. But anyway, I haven't been there for a while. All right, Heathen, you ready for some headlines? Sure. Heathen's Headlines. The largest opening ever on Thursday for an animated feature, The Secret Life of Pets, brought in a massive $5.3 million dollars. The third largest preview session ever for an animated feature dominated the weekend with 96 million. Nice. Good job, Secret Life of Pets, opening on Friday and making some money. I'm really excited to see it. I think it's going to be a funny movie. Yeah, it's got people in it. Like <laughs> Louis C.K. and Eric Broadstreet, Broadstone. It's got people in it? Yeah. Considered lost over 30 years, the original 35mm print of the 1982 film The Man Who Saved the World, better known as the Turkish Star Wars, has been found. It was found in a collection of a retired movie projectionist um, in his northwest Turkey home. He kept a copy of it instead of returning it to the production company. He lied and said that he that it was damaged during production. Hmm. Never so heard of it. So a film collector purchased it, and I guess he's going to make another copy of it so that we have and a record of it. So did he purchase it from this guy that stole it, or did the film studio eventually get it back? It didn't say anything about how it was purchased. It just said that it was purchased. I'm sure the film studio is no longer in business. Yeah, uh, it must Especially be. Otherwise, they'd still have rights for it. Yeah. You think someone would? St- well, I guess if it belongs to a studio. I don't know. I'm sure that the rules in Turkey are not anything close to here, so they probably could just do whatever they want. Is my guess. Turkey's a very old society. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Constantinople. The Ottomans. Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer will soon team up to play a mother-daughter. A role revolving around... Who's going to play the mother? Well, that's a good question. It didn't really (laughs) specify. Um, Revolving around a daughter who takes her recently divorced neurotic mother on a trip to the Amazons. Hmm. And then something goes wrong on the trip, and the film follows them as they make a mad dash to the American embassy. This will be Han's first appearance in 15 years, and nobody knows what the title of the movie is or when it's going to be released yet. It's, it sounds intriguing to me, but what I what I think is interesting, that only sounds intriguing to me because of the cast, because had I not known the cast, and you say, guess what kind of movie, I would say, is this an Adam Sandler movie? Pass. But I'd like to see Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer team up. She, uh, Amy Schumer did really good on Trainwreck, and Goldie Hawn is a wrinkled up national treasure. <laughs> Rude. What? And that's my news. All right. Good job, Heathen. Uh, it's fine to hit that baby. It's funny how I said that backwards. I wish I could record it again. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. All right, Heathen. We are we are 
firmly on schedule. Let's head into <laughs> Cocktail Corner. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. Have a drink! So we have two cocktails this week. They're not really movie-themed per se. They're more of a summer drink and just a request. And they're both very simple. Sometimes I get asked, Kevin, what can I do with some of these girly-flavored, fancy-flavored uh, vodkas and whiskeys and things like that? So we're going to do two summertime chill-down drinks with featuring whipped cream flavored vodka this is from uv but smirnoff makes uh, a whipped vodka um pretty much i'm sure everyone does the only thing i've really drank it before with is you can mix it with um, like a pineapple juice and so that's the first one we're going to do something like that you're going to put in about two ounces However you like, you can do an ounce, uh, an ounce and um, three-fourths to three ounces. It just depends how much liquor you like in your drink. And then you're going to... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say probably enough to make three. <laughs> well, there's a little, we're using little glasses. Yeah. And we can do samplers because we are doing two drinks. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna, you're going to mix in... Um, so g- generally, you're going to build this in a highball glass. We're using little sampler glasses, but highballs are those, are those tall like Collins glasses. Fill them with ice. You're going to put in about two ounces of vodka and then fill it with um, half pineapple juice, half orange juice. So, however, you're not going to fill up that. Uh, Matt's making this in a shaker to distribute, so he's just going to use his um, his wisdom to decide how much belongs in there. And um, so we're actually using a pineapple orange dole mix, but you can, you know, do a little bit of each and half and half. That's what we normally get at a bar is the pineapple juice and the orange juice. So give it a shaky shake and then pour it in your Collins glass. This drink is called a orange cooler. Yes, this one is called the orange cooler, I believe. I think it's really funny that we can see the discount sticker on the bottle. Mm. So yes, we did did get a discount on our vodka. We got discount vodka. Which I guess is better than gas station sushi. Um, the VIP Perfect. bar is not necessarily the type of place that goes for flavored um, alcohols, but we're also a place that doesn't necessarily pass up a good bargain. That's true. So hence, whipped vodka. We'll save to. Well, let's drink to something for now. How about we drink to our event tomorrow? We're doing uh, Dave, Mike and Dave's funeral. Wedding dates. <laughs> I think that's the that's the sequel. Mike and Dave need, need a right. funeral. Yeah, followed by bocce ball and possibly followed by jazz. So let's drink to that. Pineapple. Smooth. Okay. If you want to finish out the the rest of that little... Oh, yeah, because we can do these, however. The next one is very similar. Again, you're going to build this in a highball glass, normally at home. You're going to put in the same thing, um, an ounce in three quarters to three ounces of whipped vodka. And then you're just going to fill with orange soda. We have 
Crush, made in Mexico, Honcho in Mexico, with that good sugarcane sugar. The crush isn't quite cold, but I think that'll work out. The top half of the glass is big. So there's an opener if you need it. Yeah, it's not a twisty. Those 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 Mexicans, they they like to keep a good hold of their soda. Ethan, what would you like to drink too for our next cocktail? The creamy orange. Um, that's a good question. I don't really have anything to toast to. I guess um, maybe Dan's birthday. All right, I will toast to my friend Dan's birthday with a creamy orange. If he drank alcohol, this might be a drink that he would like. He liked to eat pudding out of a can, and out I'm sure, can? yeah, just like the big old Crocker, uh, Betty Crocker tubs of pudding, or not pudding, sorry, frosting. Frosting. <laughs> Personal trainer that likes to eat frosting out of a can. Kind of like a creamsicle. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like a 50-50. And it really hides the alcohol well because Matt poured that almost 50-50. Ah, just like the drink. I mean, just like the uh-huh. ice cream. Yep. And um, really, you can't... You could get a stomach ache and get drunk pretty fast off of this particular drink. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I didn't taste any alcohol in the first one either, which <coughs> generally I think is the idea on these kind of cocktails, these summer cocktails, these panty droppers. Um, if you want to, t- if you want to taste alcohol, that's when you should just get a nice glass of bourbon mm-hmm. or scotch. My favorite. Yeah. All right. Which of those did you prefer? The first one. First one, because you're not a big fan of the sweet. No. And the first one was more summertime fresh fruit. I think this would have been good for me as a shot with a float of the crush, just a weensy, or maybe even a, a cactus cooler. You know what might be like interesting to coolers. try is that so is a high, that is a pineapple one too. It's to do the whipped and a sh- as a shot with just a float of control on top, which is orange. Well, oh. this particular vodka on their back label recommends a shot of root beer with it. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> all of a sudden everybody wants some root beer we oh. should have read the back of the damn bottle i wanted to go with the orange no i like the orange Whatever. i agree the the first one is definitely more of a a nice cocktail to sip on and then the second one i i can see more of a shot yeah the the first one is more something you'd have on the patio of a restaurant with a garnish and the second one's something you drink when you're 21 years old yeah. <laughs> with 20 people in a hot tub yeah all right, you ready for feature? Let's hit another baby first, just because. That's fine to hit this baby. Oh, and I forgot, Matt got a sticker last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can reach your sticker board for your points. I think that brings you up to 13. You're two away from another prize. Damn. Points. Into feature presentation. So this week in feature presentation, we do have a double feature, The Conjuring 2, 
plus Swiss Army Man. We're going to be covering The Conjuring 2 first. Um, as a reminder, the feature presentation may contain spoilers and probably will contain a few spoilers. We'll try to refrain from major spoilers, and if we do make a major spoiler, then we'll try to alert you. But for this week, we're going to do somewhat of a soft walkthrough, not, 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 not a totally detailed walkthrough, but um, might discuss more of the movies than we, than we sometimes do. So let's cover The Conjuring 2 first, uh, rated R with a runtime of 2 hours and 14 minutes. Of course, this is a sequel to The Conjuring 1. Here is a synopsis. I don't know who wrote the synopsis. Um, in 1977, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren travel to London, England, where single mother Peggy Hodgson believes that something evil is in her house. When Peggy's youngest daughter starts showing signs of demonic possession, Ed and Lorraine attempt to help the besieged girl only to find themselves targeted by the malicious spirits. This is directed by James Wan. Um, you might know him from, well, he first rose to the scene from Saw, the very first Saw. Um, of course, he also did both the hideous movies, one and two, the first Conjuring. Um, he got, he did the last Fast and Furious, Furious 7. He was actually, in his words, what I have the quote here somewhere, he was offered a life-altering amount of money to direct Fast and Furious 8, and Vin Diesel tends to, much like The Rock, and a lot of people likes to keep the same people around. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, James Wan did turn down directing Fast and Fury <laughs> Furious 8 to direct Conjuring 2 because he really wanted to tell another scary story. That's basically, as I said, where he came from. He rose to the scene with Saw. Um, don't know that much about him other than his directing style. I mean, you can see Insidious and the Conjuring movies, they definitely have a style to them. I don't think they would be as good with a different director because there's not like a whole lot different to Insidious. I guess Conjuring is a little bit different, but I, but I like his style. He's a uh, Chinese-Australian, however you say that. Um, and uh, one thing that I might come back to a little bit later is he will be directing the Aquaman movie. Damn. So a couple notes here. On the first day of shooting of the film, a priest was brought in to bless the set. Um, kind of related to Heathen's news about animation, this is the biggest opening weekend gross for a horror film in three years. The previous film was The First Conjuring in 2013. The Ghost Boy that... Um, let's talk about that one in a little bit. So the first film was intentionally rated PG-13. This sequel was intentionally rated R. So that's what they were going for and what they got for both films. I'm not sure. This one did seem a little bit darker, but I don't know that there was a huge difference in tone to make this an R versus the other one PG-13. I'm trying to... Think what made this one R. There was some swearing and a little bit of blood and violence, but I think it was mainly the language. Okay. Um, scarier than the first one. Yeah, I think so. To me. Um, <laughs> I'll save some of these other notes for later. One of them I think is a little interesting that I'll bring up. So this movie starts with, which, which I liked how it started, although I think they... I, I, I don't really know, but 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 they started with the Amityville um, haunting, which is probably the most famous haunting that we know, at least here in America. States, yeah. 
um, because of the movies and also just the there's a documentary on Netflix about it. There's been a lot of investigation besides paranormal investigators, just exactly what went on with this guy that just came in and killed his children. Um, so it starts there. And Lorraine, and I like how they film this. Generally, as I said with James Wan, and I don't know if it's the same cinematographer for both films, I really liked the setup of the shots. I really liked how they showed her um, seeing images of the Amityville haunting. She she not not just saw the images, but she was in the place. So she was walking around with like a shotgun, killing the kids. So she was like in the killer's mind. Um, although she didn't have a shotgun in her hand, I thought that was really cool looking. They had a lot of nice tracking shots throughout the film. Then she sees this little demon boy that uh, I thought was pretty spooky because I think children are always spooky <laughs> and just about everything. And the little demon boy tells her to go downstairs and she encounters this. Uh, the, the only thing I think was really scary in the movie, the, the demon. Um, basically half Marilyn Manson, half nun. Half demon, so one and a half things. <laughs> <laughs> and a little thing about that little boy was that... So that ghost boy that Lorraine sees, uh, they call it in this, in this note uh, that she was astral projecting, is based on the infamous Amityville photo taken by Gene Campbell, who was a professional photographer and part of the team of the real Ed and Lorraine supposedly he took a photo that had a picture of a boy in the background so they incorporated that into this movie from there um so lorraine basically she gets this premonition that ed's gonna get killed and also she's just getting close to this this demon thing and she tells ed over breakfast or something like that like hey we need to get out of the game a little bit like there's just too much dirty juju going on and Whatever. I don't think she even tells him at that point that she's seen the premonition that he's going to die. She's mm -hmm. just like, we need to step out. And Ed's like, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's kind of my credibility. I like to go on the talk show circuit. I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to do stuff, but I love my wife, so I'll back off for a little bit. Because I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. But he will do that particular thing. So then they're, they're kind of cool for a while. Apparently they have a daughter now, which I don't think... This is about seven years after the first movie, roughly. So we go from the 70s to the 80s. Maybe early, maybe like early 70s to late 70s. Didn't they yeah. have the daughter in the first one, though? I, I was trying to... I, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember much she, of the first one. Yeah, because she has to go back because the child is like being babysat or something. And they have to... Like, and, go back and protect her for something. And I guess that would make sense, because a daughter looks like she's over the age of seven. She's, what, <clears throat> probably about 10, 11? Maybe. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah I think she was, like, probably two or three in the, the first one. So that makes sense. Um, so they get out of the game for a little bit, and then there's the, I think it's called the Infield Haunting. I don't know if that's the name of it. But it's uh, supposedly... The large or the longest investigated paranormal event, and this happened in England, so we may not be as familiar with it here in America, although they also have movies about this particular haunting, I think called the Enfield Haunting. Again, I apologize if I'm, I didn't put that in my notes, the name, the name of it. But Enfield is, is the place in England, and um, I guess it happens 
because in the movie because she's messing around with a with a uh, homemade Ouija board. Yeah. That's and how it always starts. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you could do it with a homemade Ouija board, but I guess if you have a very powerful demon <laughs> like Valak, even a uh, even a homemade Ouija board will work. Um. So, I have. He then doesn't agree with me on this, or not that she doesn't agree with me. This is my feeling, and she doesn't really agree. I guess it's disagree. I really like this movie. I like the setup of it. I like the tone. I, I like the demon. I had some of the problems with the story a little bit. To me, the story was like a little bit thin. And some of it is just, I would like to know your opinion. So do you think... My question is, Heathen's already kind of given me her opinion, but she can say it again on the recording. The, the, the haunting that starts it is with the old man, William, or whatever, who we find out is getting used as a pawn by the demon Valak. But where does that demon first come in? Um, Heathen, I think you said that you just it was a premonition, like she was seeing the future? Mm-hmm. Is it, was that what you told me, or do you want to elaborate? When she first sees it in the Amityville. Yeah, I definitely think that's from the future. Okay. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion or my take on it. I think that makes sense. I don't. I, I think that's probably the right answer. I don't really like that answer, though. Well, I think with pretty much, especially the Catholic religion, it is a lot of not premonitions, but um, you know, warnings of things to come. So I think. Especially with the the portrayal of like the the evil nun, um, you know she does kind of ha- the the demon itself does know kind of what the future holds or what the possible future holds, um, and is trying to fulfill fulfill the prophecy kind of a thing. And this is a little off topic, but they they had an original design for the demon, which I guess you can see at the end of the movie. I don't know where that is. Maybe it's one of its incarnations. But they changed it to look like this nun because a lot of the movie is about the attack on Lorraine's faith of the the Catholic. And they wanted to have something that shows like a bastardization of that. Um, Which she actually mentions in the movie. So I, I, I... I mean, it does make sense. Like I said, I think that's the right answer. I don't really like that the demon is a premonition, either from the demon itself or from Lorraine. Um, but I, I, whatever, a small thing. So then, what do you think it is? No, that's what I think it is. I just don't really like that. That's what it is. I don't have a better answer. I mean, the the only other thing I could think it could be is they've just been messing around with all this dark shit for a while enough that like somehow Lorraine got this taint on her. You know, she somehow. Too yeah. much, too much working with the dark side, because that's kind of what she says. Mm-hmm. Let's get out of this. Although she, again, I think I agree with you guys. She says she wants to get out of it because of the premonition. But also, you can't mess around with that much dark shit without eventually something bad happening. Well, the thing with demonology is you have to kind of be open to it. So if you're that open to it, where you believe it wholeheartedly, where it's part of who you are and how you make a living, you're, of course you're going to be a lot more susceptible to something like that. Sure, and and that is her part in the movie, um, and and people that supposedly can see things like this that are sensitive, sensitive to, let's call it another energy level, perhaps, because that's something that I could believe in that i I think 
Just like there's people that can see certain color. Like there's people, I don't know if it's ultraviolet or infrared, maybe it's ultraviolet, but people can see that color. And we know that color exists. Most of us can't detect it, but it's, it's a, you either call it particles or energy. Either way, there are people that can be more sensitive to certain things. Taste, sounds, hearing. If you want to take the supernatural things as an as a energy level, then, then sure, that's what she's sensitive in, in this. Um, so I, I, like the, I like the actress that played the little girl, the one that was um, being possessed or haunted or whatever. I thought they did a good job with that. The, the, the um, living members of that family all did visit the set, although the person that was playing the mother uh, refused to meet any of them because she didn't want it to affect her part. And the, I mean, a lot of actors did this, like uh, Sarah Paulson with the O.J. Simpson story, didn't want to meet um, what's-her-name until after the show was over. Um, is, did she play... Marsha Walsh. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they went over this a little bit in the movie, but, uh, again, in real life, a lot of people, of course, believe this was all fate. They thought that Janet was a gifted ventriloquist, um, who had a power to manipulate voices. There's also some people that believed all the children were involved and they all had different parts. Like the oldest sister did the voices and the other children just ran around, ran around in dead shit. Um, the main girl, Janet, did admit in a newspaper that she said uh, 2% of the events were faked, which, you know, the, the non-believers went ahead and said, okay, well, by 2%, you mean 100%. Uh, yeah. Um, and they kind of covered that in the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, which, which I'm glad. The movie did do a good job of that. It, it, I, I like they did it. It was one of the things... I didn't really have a problem with that. There's a couple parts in the movie I felt were a little forced. That one wasn't necessarily. But she was told, uh, the demon told her that if she didn't show that she was faking these things, that he would kill her family or whatever. So she got caught intentionally so that they would send everyone home. Because if they had, if um, Ed and Lorraine got enough proof then the Catholic Church was going to get involved. But the Catholic Church couldn't afford to get involved. It was something that was a hoax. Because I believe the Vatican does actually have... um, They do have a division that deals with things like this, possessions and things like that. Um, One thing I did... I'm not very observant in movies, and I did notice this in the movie, but I I didn't realize what I was looking at. It was just one of those things like... Oh, that's odd. I wonder what that means. And then it wasn't until later that I read it. So the name Valak can be seen in the film several times. The time I noticed it, but actually didn't realize I was noticing it, was um, there's a part where there's a bunch of bookshelves. And you might see it twice. I don't know if it's the first time when she's talking to Ed over breakfast. You might also see it again when um, she's writing in her book and the girl's making jewelry. Is The bookshelf has these different letters on it that spell out Valak. And the reason I noticed it, because I was like, who would have, like, V? Why do they have a V? Why do they have an Because I was thinking, usually you have, like, your your initials. Yeah. And they didn't have, like, an E or an L. Well, they had an L, but, I mean, I couldn't figure out the letters. Also, something I didn't see is that part where she's making the necklaces. All of them say Valak on the necklaces. Um, Let's see. 
You can see the word Valak in colorful bangles hanging from the window and also behind Lorraine. And um, yeah, that's basically it. You see the bookcases a couple times in the movie. Which is all pretty much part of her like little dream sequence, right? Yeah. This is something I thought was interesting, and I, I did not... Um, I was surprised to read this. So the demon, either the demon or the old man or the combination of both, they, they take on a couple of different manifestations. And one of them is the crooked man from the little kid's toy box. He's, he's learning the song um, with his sister, I think, to help him from not stuttering. And that is a good way to do it because a lot of people, for whatever reason, can sing without stuttering, but it's when they talk. I don't know if singing will, will, will help you overcome that, but there's a part where you see the crooked man come in, I think kind of two times, but there's one major time you see him come in and the Crooked Man was actually played by a real actor. He wasn't CGI or animated because to me he looked like he was like claymation. And I thought that was on purpose because it was a kid's right. dream or whatever. And they wanted to make like what a kid could imagine. So when I was looking at it, I was like, this is like shitty CGI. But I understand it. They wanted to make it look like claymation because of a kid. But it was actually played by a real actor, Javier Botet, who creates movements with his body like a living stop-motion puppet. That's like his skill. <laughs> I thought that was freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So, let's say first topic, maybe. What do you think about another sequel to... What do you think about a Conjuring Three? Oh, uh, you know it's going to happen after the success of the second one. Yeah, but what do you what do you think about it? I don't see what they would have to, what the topic would be about. So they, for this one, they to me it seemed like they had to kind of tie the two different stories together to kind of you like mean the you first said, Conjuring. No, the the second Conjuring. So they had to take the oh. Amityville story and. Which is, like you said, the most one of the most famous American stories. And I can't remember the name of the second um, story, but it's one of you know Britain's most famous haunting stories. So they had to tie the two of them together to kind of make a a full story. Yeah, I mean, I I like that in a way that they did it. And overall, I'm glad they did that. I was thinking they shot themselves in the foot because you know everyone knows Amityville, but you know honestly, I'm glad that they covered Amityville in the beginning of the film, and it's like three minutes of the film maybe it's not yeah. very much that way they can cover something that no one knows anything about i i f- feel like it might be difficult to get the audiences interested but uh, um supposedly ed and lorraine do have something like a thousand documented cases that they've covered some of them pretty weird uh-huh. like x-files ish like werewolves and stuff hmm but I could see them do something maybe along the lines of what the current X-Men movies are doing is just move through the decades because they were active. So I, I could see the next one move ahead another seven years, like 85, something like that. And they've already done one, at least one spinoff, too. And they'll probably do another spinoff on the demon. But, you know, this I didn't see Annabelle. I heard it sucked. And James Wan didn't do that one. Yeah. Um, I don't think he'll do a spinoff. It wasn't great, but yeah. I don't think they'll do. I don't think he'll do the spinoff if they do a spinoff from this. But I could see them doing a Conjuring three. If they do, I hope he does it. I don't know that he will. Maybe he'll move on to something else. But as I said, I, I think the actors in in this film are fine. 
the story was average, but I think without the directing, it, it just would have lost something and become a little bit more generic. Um, yeah, I would hope that he would do a third one and kind of finish off his yeah, trilogy. Yeah, that would be that would be great, and then let the studios run four, five, and six. Um, I I so he's doing this Aquaman movie, which. I think it's a good and a bad thing. I think it could be very good. It's just so far Warner Brothers has not done great with their post-Batman movies. Um, they've been trying to make them darker, I guess. To I, I, I don't know, which does sort of match DC, but it's not really working for them that well. I th- think... So Aquaman, if you watch um, um, Robot Chicken, he's basically considered like the joke of the superhero universe they make fun of him even in the comic books they kind of make fun of that because his powers he talks to fish and that's kind of ridiculous Hmm. but aquaman actually is kind of a cool character and with james wan doing it they can explore it and give it more of a horror dark uh, feel there's when they DC a couple years back they relaunched their whole thing I think it was called the New Fifty Two and the beginning of the Aquaman story was like these troglodyte like creatures that came from the deepest crevices of the ocean that were starving to death down in their kingdom so they were venturing out to look for food and they were just like eating everything it was sort of Cthulian a little bit. And again, very dark. So if James Wan went with something like that, instead of the general DC Aquaman stuff that I remember as a kid that was very G-rated in the cartoon, but went something with dark, because there's some really creepy shit that lives at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> like all of those weird monsters with the big teeth and the little light thing coming out of their head. If we go along with something like that, I think I think it would be great. Again, it, some of it depends on the studio. Um, and I think that's... All I really have to say, I do have one little side topic on here. So the kid has the the, the crooked man uh, manifests himself because of the the kid. Is there any? And, and then we had the Annabelle doll. Can you think of anything as a kid that you played with or liked, or that um, might have you know a demon could have used to creep you out? I had a porcelain doll that used to creep me out. Yeah, those are always creepy. Yeah, I mean it was it was a cute little doll, but still, if you stared at it long enough. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Hard not to be creepy. That that would be basically my same answer, not mine. But but a, I've talked about it on the podcast before. A friend's mom had a old porcelain Santa doll that didn't even look like it was smiling, and if it did, it was like happy to kill you. <laughs> Those porcelain things. I could definitely see that freaking me out. But you met anything from a kid that you could think of that a storybook or a no? I I have stories of like king cobras like popping yeah. up in front of me nothing really scared me as a kid for some reason i'd like to see uh, a big uh, claymation king cobra like a beetlejuice yeah. style king cobra yep. come and haunt you well i mean i wouldn't really like to see that <laughs> like, really happen but okay anything to say about conjuring 2 before moving on to swiss army man no all right yeah, that's fine to hit this baby. <laughs> that's fine to hit this baby. Mmm, old Rasputin. You don't care for it? No, I just don't understand why you have to sip your beer like this. 
None of that. I don't get it. Second movie. <laughs> Swiss Army Man, uh, with a runtime of one hour and 37 minutes, was directed by two directors, Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart, also known as the Daniels. So this isn't something I didn't know. When, when the film credits came on, it said directed by Daniels. I was like, who the fuck is Daniels? This is like a movie video, or a music video director? <laughs> but apparently it's two, two guys, and they're, they're for, they've done a few other films I've never heard of. I think this is their first real Hollywood picture. Which they did get a lot of help with. It was part of the Sundance um, Movie Lab program or something. I think Quentin Tarantino had some input on it. Dolby had some input mm-hmm. on it. They also wrote it. Of course, stars Paul Dano. Or Dano. I think it's Dano. Yeah. And Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> that was not a sound effect, by the way. <laughs> wasn't me. The fart at the end of the film was done by one of the producers, by the way. Um, so brief synopsis on this one. Hank, played by Paul Dano, is stranded on a desert island, or is he? <laughs> and is about to kill himself when he notices a corpse washed up on a beach. He befriends it, naming it Manny, only to discover that his new friend can talk and has a myriad of supernatural abilities which may help him get home. So a couple notes here, and then we can do a little soft walkthrough too. A fake version of Manny was made to be used in pretty much all of the film, but Daniel Radcliffe insisted on being in every shot. There was a few shots where they consider it too dangerous, uh, where they did use the dummy, but Radcliffe is still the one that tossed her through the dummy, so he still had his control over it. (laughs) Um, That is almost the only note I have other than the... uh, I, I think I read the same interview that Matt read from NPR. They... One thing I found... Well, let me talk about this first. I think this film, in in a way, and, and let me get to it first, is similar to like a good animation movie or a Pixar, Pixar film. You can go into it just watching it and liking it for what's actually happening on the film, and I think that's what a lot of people were doing. It's two guys, uh, farting corpse with magic powers, and a journey, a, bu- a buddy-slash-journey film, and you could just watch it, not read anything else into it, everyone, well, Manny gets away at the end, farting through the ocean, and probably, um, uh, what's, what's the dude's name? Paul, what did I say his name was? Hank? And Hank probably goes to jail or something like that, but... But then there's other layers to it, so there is my belief, Heathen's belief is that it was an alien the whole time. (laughs) My belief is... 85% 85% of this is in his head, and it's just a man at the end of a complete breakdown that probably somewhat recently, let's say six months, maybe less than a year, um, was having trouble struggling in society, just just kept feeling um, crushed in and, and beat down and just having... Um, trouble fitting in and just had a complete collapse and went and out lived in the woods and then invented this thing about crashing on a boat on a desert island. I think he really did find the dead body because I think they did live next to the water. And then I think he um, decided to go use this dead body as a surrogate psychologist to work through some issues. And it did help him. Just like a lot of going to a therapist is just talking and not being judged. So even if you just sit and talk by yourself, it's supposed to be healthy. 
So him sitting and talking to this imaginary friend was helping him work through a bunch of issues with his dad and society and being accepted. And as he worked through that, he was working his way closer back to society. And whether he really hurt himself or didn't, he did get to the point where he felt that he could reach out again to the woman he was stalking. Now, that's just my take on it. I don't know. In this interview, they did talk about that the dead body was a metaphor for human experience and the farting was a metaphor for freedom. And it does show that a little bit in the film, how um, Hank won't even fart in front of Manny. He says he prefers to do it by himself. And at the very end, there's the big fart and they look at the corpse. He's like, no, no, I did that. Like he's finally okay with feeling that he accepts himself. Um, I do feel a lot of this film, whether you look at it on the first level or the second level, either way, if you look at it on the very uh, basic, what you're seeing is what you're getting. I think it's all of it is about learning to accept and love yourself and um, your part in the world. It doesn't matter if you don't get love from your dad. It doesn't matter if you feel that you don't fit in. It doesn't matter if you think you're weird. You just got to accept those things about yourself and not feel bad if you're not like everyone else. So that was my that was my take. And that's basically what I got out of that interview. I didn't really write anything else down. They mostly just talked about farting in the, yeah. in the interview. I agree. <laughs> With what? With your <clears throat> interview analysis. Well, that wasn't the interview analysis. That was mostly the, uh, we got a dead dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was mostly just what I got from the movie. Um, I mean, I think at the end that he was still imagining that Manny farting through the ocean. Yeah. Much in the same way as he obviously didn't write it. Well, I can't say obviously because he could have. But my feeling is, is he did not write him like a jet ski in the beginning of the movie to escape the... To me, the deserted island was when he was at his lowest, when he yeah. felt the most isolated. Then the jet ski was at least to get back. As I said, the journey was closer and closer back to society. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly mental. Because when they go back and they see where he was all at, at the end, the real version, it was all near. They all got to that place in five minutes. I mean, we don't know. But they got the camera crew, everyone got down there right away where it was taking him what seemed like days, weeks. Right. Yeah, and I think the the movie also suggests that this does not take place within, like, you know, a week. Like, this whole journey with him finding the body and then, you know, making this journey to civilization. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen within a week. You, you talk about, or you look at, like, all the things that he sees along the way where it's just, like, garbage and food and things that he sees in, like, this cave where obviously he's, you know been venturing back into civilization and then coming in and out of this kind of delusional state yeah so the the way i was trying to track the time at least trying to figure out how long he was there is the beard that's why i was saying six months i mean how long this probably takes longer six months to grow a beard like that I would think so. He would because when he's doing the flashbacks on the bus, he's clean shaven, and we figure it wasn't too long after that that he pussied out and ran into the wilderness. So, the the a, a lot of the story is about the man and the corpse talking about Sarah, whatever her name is, the girl, and the the person that they think that they're in love with. Which to me, the corpse, as I said, the corpse and Hank are the are the same person. 
essentially. Um, at least the, the, the personality or a lot of it, because even the corpse says, well, I, I'm, I'm in love with her. He's all the, he's all the things that Hank wants to be. He's free. He's got his boner out there. Um, Hank is telling, trying to teach Manny the way that he thought that he should have been raised in a way. And he's learning too. So in the beginning, he tells Manny that he's a retarded sack of crap. And then right away he says, oh God, I sound just like my dad. And then later on, he's trying to tell Manny, like, you should do these things. And actually, Manny is telling Hank, like, no, you should, I think you should do things that feel good for you, whatever. I don't know. They, they kind of talk back and forth about being weird. But anyway, I believe that it's not too far from the bus scenes where he's been looking at this person that he has the break, the complete breakdown and goes and lives in the woods. And you have to live in the woods for a while to get a beard like that. Although not for so long that, because at the end of the movie, the cameraman keeps saying like, hey, I, I know you, or I recognize you. So I think part of that was that to tell us, okay, this guy's been around for a while, he wasn't lost. I think part of it was to go along with the idea of the story that Hank keeps saying, or he says something like, if I die, no one would even notice, no one would care. I would like no one. And I think the idea of the cameraman at the end saying, hey, I recognize you as a show, like you... You do exist to people. Um, there's There was a recent like PSA I think I saw today or yesterday on the TV. It's teenagers reading texts. And it's all these different texts. And it's all... The idea is these are all things written to a teenager after they committed suicide because of bullying or something like that. So... And, and, the, and, the, and the PSA is like, say, do something nice today. Don't wait till the future, you know. So I think um, that Hank did mean more or had more of a part in the world than he realized. I know it's really easy as a person to feel like you don't matter or that things are insignificant. But that was, again, my idea. I, I don't really know. But yeah, I could see somewhere between six months and, and a year um, of being out there. Definitely not a week. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. Um, and sometimes, not that you need to have a complete breakdown, but sometimes it is good to leave society. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I like to go camping. I think most people like to go camping. I think some of that as, as a man, is it just, there's some little spark inside of you that goes back to being a, a Cro-Magnon or a Neanderthal or something and, and just the idea of, of, of fire and, and, and survival and, and a spark and, and being away. But Matt, you might be able to talk about this a little bit more, but um, what are the things you, you do like a lot of the long-term hiking and stuff? What are the, what are the things that you get out of that that you wouldn't get out of just, you know, being in the city? Gives you perspective. Um, so getting away from everything and just kind of, Seeing what it's like to, to well, not just live, but, you know, be around something that isn't built up and it's just natural and the way it was intended to be. And then also kind of having a respect for kind of what we have built and what we have, you know, available to us um, that isn't... Um, wouldn't have been available if it was, you know, just one or two people that's trying a good, to make a society. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. Um, learning to appreciate what we've developed and what we have now. 
That's a good point. Yeah, because usually, I mean, after spending a week in the wilderness, uh, you, you start, like, craving <laughs> and um, start thinking about the things that you really do miss about society. Usually it's food first, uh, but then also it, it, it kind of reminds you of, you know, family or that you've kind of lost touch with or people that you've kind of um, not taken advantage of, but... Um, have kind of taken for granted taken for granted exactly with things pass by yeah that's another good point i mean one of them i mean i can only be gone say three days and not even camping just traveling and like the first thing i want to do is a hot shower so yeah those kinds of things but yeah i found i haven't really got that perspective on the on the family and friend thing until either something really traumatic happens and i lose someone or like i have one of those things where I, you know, like you think you might die. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, shoot, I wish I had told that person that they had a really cool backpack <laughs> or something. <laughs> I mean, nothing like that, but, you know, it does, it does, some of those things have made me, I, I've gotten lazy about it again, but have made me more want to keep, an, at least keep, an, if not say something nice or tell people I appreciate them, at least like contact people once a month and be like, hey, just saying, hey, yeah, how's it going? Because you really can lose track. Sometimes I'm I, drinking yours. I'm so sorry. Mm. I just realized. Sometimes <laughs> when I um, you wanted it more. <laughs> I totally uh, it's fine to hit that baby. <laughs> totally forgot. Sorry. Can can I get you another glass? <laughs> just drink straight from that one. Yeah, or the shot glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. but but I mean it's interesting. Um, sometimes I look at some people in it might be a text message or a Facebook message or something. They'd be like, man, it's been like over a year since I've seen them. It feels like it's only been a few months, but it was like, no. you know, just time really gets away from you. Anyway, Heathen, do you have any ideas on, on any of those things, either about the movie, about um, society versus being alone, um, being weird and learning to deal with that? Well, it's kind of just the way of life for everybody, I think. I think everybody feels like they need to step out of society for a little bit. I think everybody feels weird. Do you really think everyone feels weird? Mm -hmm. I don't. Everybody has something. Yeah, maybe they do, but I really think that there's some popular kids that never really had an issue with being weird. Well, did you see the documentary? I don't know you didn't, but there was a documentary about the stresses of just being popular. Yeah, I mean, that's I, some, I had that's a, friends like that, and not just popular, but also um, successful, like kids. I had I had high school friends that nearly had nervous breakdowns in high school because out of 12 years of school, they got an A- finally, and it almost crushed them. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because it was just... As we talked about, I think, on the podcast before, the psychological roles, being the hero, having to always be the best. And I don't, again, I have a coworker now that's like that, that has, it's not a want, it's not a desire, it's a genuine need to be the best that she has to invent things to be the best at that no one cares about. There's, there's something weird there, obviously, coming from probably something from the parents or something younger. But I do think that there are people that can skate by on B's and A's and mostly A's and are on the football team and on drama and the prom king and probably generally do pretty well for themselves and go on and get a good job 
and every the, nobody is unscathed from being well yeah no it's thinking perfect. that some portion of their life is weird nobody is there's not anybody in this world that would tell you honestly no i'm perfectly fine with everything they're either weird about somebody in their family something going on with their personality something nature or nurture whichever there's always something that somebody's going to feel yeah, it's, weird about. Yeah, I, I feel like that there there may not be, but it's hard for me to say because I don't have an experience. Pretty much everyone I know has some sort of insecurity. I just have an idea that they're... I wouldn't say it's an insecurity. I would say it would be something that you feel weird about. It well, doesn't necessarily have to be an insecurity. So you could feel good that you feel weird about it. Well, just, wow, this is something kind of weird that other people don't do. Or... <laughs> This is, it can be anything. You can't really well, define weird. Well, I know. I wouldn't call it an insecurity, though. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> something that's kind of ingrained to us, in, in us um, is kind of this need to be part of a, a social culture. Um, and it's mainly a survival thing. So keeping the culture alive or the society alive. Keeping so anytime you're. Joneses. Yeah, so anytime you're doing something that kind of contradicts that, like being popular. Or, you know, setting you aside of that um, that societal, like, you know, fitting in and, and doing what's best for society. So anytime you're doing something outside of that, you're definitely adding some stress, whether you know it or not, just because you're going against what kind of is inherently part of us. Yeah, and we did, I think this was in a communicate. I don't really know the goal of it, and you guys might have done the same thing, but in a communication class... We had to do things like, you know, go into an elevator and face the wrong way, the quote wrong way, to see how people would react. Yeah. Those sort of things, because if you don't do what other people do, yeah, it makes it makes people feel uncomfortable. I mean. And they can't tell you why it makes them feel uncomfortable. Why would somebody standing backwards in an elevator make you uncomfortable? You yeah, can't tell you, you can't explain it. Mm-mm. The person that's standing backwards might feel weird about doing that too but so. yet you know it would be interesting i haven't seen this if you got a bunch of people to stand backwards in an elevator and you had a new that was in on it and you had a new person come in see what they do if they face forward or they face backwards because you know there are some of those elevators particularly at the airport that fate that open on both sides mm-hmm. so that's probably what i would do is i'd probably face that way thinking oh these guys all know something uh-huh. i don't which is again is a weird psychological thing uh-huh. assuming that the the mass is right so you are weird well, I never said I wasn't weird. <laughs> I was just saying that there's a difference between um, being insecure about being weird and being okay with being weird. What I was going to go to, going on with what Matt said, is a lot of those visual cues are, are fine and people follow those, the mainstream. What, what's interesting is that, we ne- at least right now and in our lifetime probably, we can never know what people actually think or how they think or what is actually the normal way to think. We do um, uh, transpose that feel, at least I do, on other people. Like I assume what the normal is. I assume what I think is normal and I place that on other people. This is the way everyone thinks. But I mean, we really honestly have no idea what a person sits there and how they how their brain patterns really work. We can try to understand them, but we really have no concrete way of knowing. You you might be thinking like a dolphin. I don't know. <laughs> Someone else might be making all these other intuitive jumps. I mean, who, who knows? It's pretty interesting. 
All right, anything else about Swiss? Oh, actually, let's go a little bit, just a little bit more into Swiss Army Man um, and jump in anytime. We're all just about done with it. So Paul Dano, uh, about to kill himself, finds this farting corpse. Um, as I said, this is the kind of movie that you can get on different levels. Uh, one of the people in our movie group, she could not stop. She was not the person that you expect either, the type of person to laugh at this kind of humor. She could not stop laughing at the farts. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. Most of the audience was like that. Um, <laughs> Including the hissing flapper. <laughs> so, and then we get, then we go on a bunch of adventures through the wilderness. Uh, we find out that the uh, dead body can chop wood, can uh, shoot a grappling hook out of its mouth, can shoot rocks like a gun, can, what else can it do? I uh, can use it as a jet ski. Use his penis as a compass. Use his penis as a compass. Can use his mouth as a, a canteen. Um, I'm sure there's some other things in there. Then they do all these things. A lot of the movie is about Hank teaching Manny about what life is, what certain things are, what's and Manny teaching Hank what's right and wrong. They both begin to talk about this girl. They start to reenact a particular scene on the bus about how easy it is just to go and talk to her because it's something that Hank wished that he would have done. And I think a lot of us as men, I don't think women have this much problem, just walk over and say something. Just It's the hardest thing in the world it used to be. It's actually pretty easy for me now, but, it, but I think for most men, it used to be the hardest thing in the world just to go up and say hi. What's the worst thing that can happen? You could be rejected, but I mean, being rejected feels really bad for people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, what I used to do is the same thing I did with anything that's scary. I just count to three and then I do it, whether it's jumping off a rock, whether it's because that's like I get kind of queasy about heights and jumping. Talking to a girl, I count to three and I start walking. Once I start walking, it's in process. I can't stop now. But yeah, that's it's. I think it's one of the bigger, besides public speaking, I think that's one of the bigger fears for people in general is being rejected, and for men in particular, just approaching a a, a woman. And, and other than those guys you see at the club that find it really easy, that say the cheesiest shit. But if you want to go up and say actually something sincere, like, you know, how's the produce today? <laughs> I don't well, know. What do you say on the bus? And this is like you get the sense that the this is all advice that he's been given. And he's giving it to, you know, his dead buddy Manny and then ultimately realizing, wow, this really is like advice. I I don't know why I never, you know, wanted to, um, you know, follow the advice or. Well, I think you can, you know, what's right. I think a lot of people know what's right and what they should do and can do. They just can't do it. And that was the thing is he's like, it's. It's because he even tells Manny, it's so easy. It's so easy. She's right there. She's right. It's just something that I'm sure that Hank thought all the time. Yeah. She's right there. I can almost touch her. How easy it just to say something. And then and then Manny says, well, what did you do? And he says, well, I, I, you know, I probably just got off the bus. You're like, you never, you know, you just, you, you, you only have so many opportunities. Maybe there was a time he could have talked to her before she got in a relationship. Maybe she was in a relationship the whole time. I don't know, but you got to take, I think, I think one of the lessons is you got to take your opportunities as they come as well. You can't wait too long. It's just like anything else. You learn more from figuring things out on yourself. So, you know, at your, by yourself than you do from, you know, having somebody show you how to do it. 
So you, uh, so he goes through these things. They have this lesson. There was one, two things I, I noticed around this time. One was at least I think I caught it. I may have been wrong, but I think you catch it. I'm ninety five percent positive. You catch Hank um, doing the things that he imagines Manny doing. You see him like flipping over wood and flipping over things. All these things he's imagined Manny's been doing. There's a, a scene around the dancing scene. I think it's around there. Where you get a you get Manny's basically just strapped to his back dead and you see Hank doing all this stuff. It's like maybe last two seconds or a second. There's another scene that I think is really interesting and I don't quite get, and I think it's one of the things that could throw a lot of people off, the ones that didn't like the movie. So again, it's the dancing scene where he's got all the puppets and he's got everyone dancing and everyone's having a great time. And then Hank has this look of horror on his face. Manny looks like he's having a great time, but Hank is just like, I don't know if it's just him all of a sudden realizing for a second how crazy he is. I think it's one of the things where maybe he's getting ready to go back to society and he's battling. Because I think there's a couple parts in the movie where you get these weird flashbacks and it's like him fighting against himself about the what's real and not real. But I'm still not really sure exactly what it is. I don't know if there's like if it's in his mind at that second that he realizes that he's set up this whole environment and he's dancing with a dead body. But he just has this look of like terror on his face. And shortly after that is another weird scene where they um they're outside together and they almost like make out. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That's kinda weird. I did like Paul Dano as the woman. I think he moves he he moves very well as a as a woman. But um, I like when I like when Paul Dano takes the wig off and Manny's like, you know, put it back on. Well, there's speaking of the flashbacks. There's a a little flashback. I'd like to see the movie again just because, well, just at least that part. <clears throat> and you see him as a flashback playing both parts on the bus. So you see him oh, yeah. as the woman and as himself sitting on the bus. Yeah. Um. So you don't really know if that's him flashing back on. You know, it was actually happened, so he was playing both sides of it, or if he is kind of self-imposing himself onto Manny. Yeah, yeah, that, that, is, that is a good one. So the, after the dancing, there's a couple of other adventures. They fight a bear. Um, there's a really... Well, there's a part actually before that where they're climbing across the pipe and they fall through the pipe. I don't know if that's before or after the dance scene. But I think that one's sort of significant because of the dialogue talking about what their, their feelings for each other. And usually with water, there's always some sort of symbolism of rebirth or something with water, like you know baptismal. Then later on, they fight the bear. There's, this, again, uh, some heavy stuff going on as, um, again, I'm not smart enough to an- an- analyze all of it. But Manny is... is, is literally saying i wish i could just go back to being dead in and all of this and um uh hank i think is having this this is the closest they've been to society he's just seen the road he's just seen where society is he's just seen where the house he's going to he realizes he can do it and then it's like that last big shock that last big fear (laughs) and um he ends up either really hurting himself or not hurting himself. I don't know if a bear really attacked him. He probably really did hurt himself falling out of a tree or something, in my opinion. Again, no answer. Enough to make that a reason 
that he has to go back to society, maybe. I think he really probably did hurt his ankle or something like that. He tries to reach out to this girl, finally, after all this time. Really is a weirdo. Everyone around him, the news crew, everyone thinks he's weird. He thinks he's weird. They look through his, film, his phone, they see a bunch of pictures of, here, of, of, of her and other things that we don't really know about. Again, that we don't know that the time um, of this... And, you know, to come to think of it just now is either this, it was a shorter time or he was really making good use of his battery or he was finding a way to charge his phone because I think his phone was like at 9% or something and then it was like at 6%. You're not going to have a phone at 6% for a year or six months unless that was part of his returning to reality. Maybe he didn't turn his phone on until he found the dead corpse. Maybe that was his shutoff. Um, Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I know he gets back. He sees the signal. He sees the email from his dad from the birthday. Anyway, everyone treats him like a weirdo. His dad comes up. He tries to hide from his dad a little bit. He gets, I think, kind of mixed reactions from his dad. His dad refuses to identify the corpse, but yet he goes back to the car, has like a little bit of a thing that looks like he's sad, but then looks like he's fine again. Um, I think that Hank had realized he doesn't really need that anymore, his dad's approval. Not really sure. Um, then Hank wants to stay with Manny. wants to take the dead body. Runs back to where it all began, where he was going to kill himself, I think, right? Was that where they came back to? Mm-hmm. I know they went yeah. back to the beach, but I'm yeah. not sure if that's the exact spot where he was going to kill himself. Then we have some more farts, and Manny takes off into the ocean, propelled by gas. All right, so... <laughs> Any, any, from either one of you guys, any thoughts about anything about the movie, the story, the ideas, the acting? Um, how, how much do you, would you consider this a good performance from Daniel Radcliffe? Basically him not doing that much, but how much, how much, I mean, Matt and I talked about that, my idea, just the cachet of him being in the film I think led people to seeing it. I think Paul Dano is a great actor, and I'm I'm very happy to see more of what he does. But if just two guys had made this, it probably would have got millions of hits on YouTube. But that's about it. Yeah. But as far as the performance, do you think that Daniel Radcliffe his performance added anything? Was it important that he was in the scenes and not a dummy? I think so, because it's real and not fake. I think for me, it's hard to judge without seeing it a different way. I need to see, like, the, the autometrist. Which way do you like better this way? That yeah. Well, obviously, that way is way better. Because it's hard. I mean, he just played a dead body. He didn't do a whole lot. But I'm sure that there's more to it than we yeah, realize. But it, it's, yeah, it's, al- it's almost harder to play like, a dead body to not use any kind of excessive movements and things that you would expect from, like, an actor. Yeah, and then things where there was parts where he got more. He even mentions like I'm speaking really well now in the beginning when he's more dead. Yeah. So there's probably is some sort of metaphor there as he becomes more alive. I'm not sure what that exactly is. I do want to point out the soundtrack. I think was very good. It was all acapella. I don't know who did it, but I generally enjoyed it. I think it added a lot of atmosphere to the movie, and on its own, I think was fairly enjoyable. I it was weird. It was it, slightly but... weird. Well, I mean, like the stuff they were doing. It starts at the very right. beginning. Yeah. Like he starts doing this loop with himself, Paul Dano. Oh, yep. And he starts 
Um, also, the, the the part that we see in the preview with Daniel Radcliffe doing the bop, 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 mm-hmm. bop, bop, and then he turns it to popcorn later. It was all done by one guy, I believe. Anyway, I thought it, I thought it added a lot to the movie. All right, anything else about either movie before the rank? Um, I don't think I'll go see it again. I thought it was pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> no one, uh, no one walked out. And as far as weird movies, because I had read that a lot of people had walked out of this movie. As far as weird movies, I've definitely seen weirder um, David Lynch movies. David Lynch movies are so weird to me that they give me a headache sometimes because I know there's meaning in them, yeah. and I'm not great at analyzing film. That. It just, like, um, I used to really like Mulholland Drive. I've seen it probably 15 times. And the first few times I watched it, it would just give me a headache because I was like, what does that mean? Because <laughs> it's not just a guy being weird. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of it. Because yeah. that's easy to just be weird. Anyways, he that wouldn't go see it. All right, let's do the ranks. The Five. So in the movie, Paul Dano finds some cheese puffs or some Cheetos, something like that. He wears it as a necklace, and it's a special treat for him. At this time, we think that he still may be stranded on some island, and and this is something that he may not have had for a year or years. We don't know. doesn't matter. I, I can equate this to another thing. When I lived in China, there were several things I could not get access to unless it was sent to me, so I got certain cravings. We are going to limit this to things that are semi-perishable, so things um, packaged in cans or bags, cookies, crackers, nothing like um, a chicken leg or a hot dog or a hamburger, but something that may have lasted a year or two years. So I'm going to want to hear your guys' top five. Uh, You can put them in order, or you don't have to put them in order. It doesn't really matter. What your top five desert island snacks are. That's what we'll call it. Desert island snacks. Something that may have fallen off a cargo ship somewhere and survived the ship. See, and you could still eat after six months. So, uh, Ethan, you want to go first? Beef jerky. Any particular kind? Beef? I'm not really... Well, jerky in general. I'm not... But but beef? There's salmon, there's yak, there's... Just jerky. I don't care if it... Just jerky. <laughs> floats up, I'm going to eat it. Pistachio nuts. Okay. These are good ones so far. Um, jalapeno chips. Okay. Red vines. Okay. And box wine. Because <laughs> it comes in a bag. <laughs> how, long, how long do you think box wine would last, though? It probably wouldn't last that long. Well, if it was red, it would last longer out in the sun than white. That's for sure. But I would, I would, I would take my chances. I would give box wine less than six months for sure probably three months but i i like them it was better than the ones i came up with all right matt what about you <laughs> uh so mine um dried fruit pretty much any type of dried fruit i mean i prefer Apricot. Ma- I yeah i'll i'll eat it mangoes are probably at the top but um any dried fruit will do um then pb and crackers so peanut butter and crackers um then turkey jerky and then i can't remember the name of the brand but their turkey sausage with like their mustard i think it's like <clears throat> herschel farms or something like that they yeah. do like a turkey sausage it's like really good and it has mustard in it or like uh no they have like a you know mustard side that you could put on hmm. it okay um like a honey mustard or sweet mustard <clears throat> And then 
last thing would be bottle conditioned beer. What is bottle conditioned beer? So bottle conditioned means that it's got live yeast in it that's continuously, you know, changing the flavor and okay. and feeding. So bottle conditioned beer, uh, like I've got pretty much what I do is bottle conditioned beer. Mm-hmm. So I've got beer that's over a year old that I still have yet to consume. Both of your guys are better than mine. Jerky, I, I didn't even think of jerky. That's a great one, and I love jerky. And pistachio nuts is a good one. I don't even know what mine would have been. I didn't come up with a list, but those are both good ones. I was thinking like nut or butters, which I don't even like, but there's something I crave once in a while. I, w- I would have been very bad at this. It's like paydays. I don't necessarily like love them, but every once in a while I get like a craving for a payday or something. Good job. Last call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see. Last call. All right, so Heathen, any last words for till next time? Nope, just have a good weekend. Sorry, too close. Be maker Matt, any last words until next time? It's a hot one. Stay cool and stay safe. It's actually been nice weather in Reno this this week or recently. Um, I don't really have any last words. Our next movie, well, our next movie will be Mike and Dave Need Funeral Dates, but that may be our next podcast, so keep an eye out for that. If you want to see pictures from today's episode, go to potablepictureshow.com. That is pronounced... Potable. If you want to follow us on the Twitters, at Potable Pictures. If you want to find us on Facebook, search Sierra Nevada Movie Club. Uh, if you want to leave a message, 775-996-3986. And I think that is fine for now. Until next week, everybody, keep it wet. All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call. Me and the bats were staying up late. Kitty and Victor got dropped from the
Uh, do you have something to clean this up with today? Yeah, 